the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Love, just exactly what is it? Well, let's talk about that next here on Truth For Today. For most of us, we find our definition of love wrapped up in what we receive rather than what we give. And here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules, we focus in on the affection of love out of 1 Corinthians 13, not how we receive or how we give, but what it actually looks like. That's the key. Please join us for today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Once again, our teacher and pastor from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Here now is Pastor Phil Howard. Quite frankly, I hope Christ could say this about me someday and this church. And you've endured hardships for my name. And you've not grown weary. I'm telling you, these are no small commendations. I wish I could have all of them said of me. How much hardness have you endured for being a Christian? Lose a job for being a Christian? Did you lose your family when you became a Christian? Did you have to get baptized at night in a tub because if your village knew it, they would kill you? I, I would say we're a non-harm church. Ours is the quiet sleep of ether going to sleep in darkness, but we're not being persecuted. But he commends him. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You see, they were doing great on what they hated, and they hated the right things. False teachers, false teachings, but in the work, in the perseverance, in the trials, whatever. I, in my heart, I'm sympathetic with this church. It's hard to believe they could be indicted. But one thing you've left, the best. The word first there was used in Luke 15 of bring forth the best robe. The first love is the best love. You've left off the best love. You've got away from, in the fight against error, in the fight against the wrong, uh, something in our relationship is wanting. In your weariness, in your battle, it doesn't sound like an intentional drift. I don't, I'm going to cut them that slack, I don't know. But you just fell into it and work has now replaced worship. Uh... Work has replaced adoration. 
uh, I've got a bride that will work for me, but not a bride that's in love with me. Not like the first. The romance has become a rut. And to talk about a Christianity where the heart is perpetually boiling in zeal and adoration of Jesus Christ and to be thinking that he's my best love, he's my first love, I don't want to get away from it, I'm I'm rebuked if I fall from it. He said, you left it, you fell from it. It's, what's the danger? It just shouts to us that pretty soon rivals have got our affections. We're loving the world. We're pursuing money. We're pursuing projects. We're pursuing one thing after another that in themselves could be innocent. But when it diminishes and diverts from him, he says, I take it personally. I, uh, I think of, uh, and I write in the notes for you, Jesus Christ saved you to have a love relationship not to just create a workforce. And uh, I think sometimes the bridegroom is so busy staying in the kitchen, she has no time to get into the arms of her husband and give him a kiss. You're busy in the kitchen. But I didn't save you because I needed you to prop up omnipotence. I saved you to get in my arms in adoration and worship in intimacy I didn't marry you just to have a work slave to do my dishes to have my children I want a relationship with you personally my fear is always for those who are working in the church don't let that be a substitute for loving Christ if it's the overflow of loving Christ wonderful if it's the only thing you're doing and you're not getting to Christ. And what are the things we battle the most for? One, to be in a corporate meeting where worship is what engages our heart. Instead of being bored or saying, I hope he doesn't go long. Let's get out of here. I don't like the music. I don't like this. Oh, I, 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 is that worship? No, that's being a critiquer of everything you don't like about the saints. Private prayer. The moments of just you in his presence, adoring him. You know, when I hear a great love song, if you just rewrote it, most all love songs ought to be written to God. You're my everything. I I can't live without you. Uh, How can I get you off my mind? And when I hear the song, I say, you know what? That ought to be sung, first of all, to God. What a difference you made in my life. I can't live without you. You're always on my mind. On and on and on. And so he says to Ephesus, what's happened to you is you've lost the emotion of love. You've lost the experience of love. You've become a hard church. You've become critically right, but you've lost the tender affections of intimacy with me. You're not a safe church. You better have it all together if you go to Ephesus because they'll nail you at the door. You don't cut everything just straight. Terrible place to ever fall into sin because they'll form a stoning committee maybe before they'll ever do any restoration. 
I have this against you and I will remove you because the core of Christianity is Christ. The most important thing I can ask about you today is, do you love Jesus Christ above everything else in this life? And if you cannot say that, there's a rival. There's a rival. And this is the pitiful. I just finished Malachi yesterday. And you know when I finished it, I, I wanted to do like this. Whew. Man, I'm glad I got that over with. These minor prophets and reading, reading Jeremiah and Ezekiel. If I heard the word Israel, you're a harlot one more time. If he, he describes her as a camel in heat, you'll run after any of the gods of the Babylonians, but you won't come to my arms. I mean, it's graphic. It's lewd. It's uh, vulgar, nearly. It, you are a harlot in heat like an animal, but you won't come to me. You run to Babylon. You run to Egypt. And he's describing their idolatry as marital unfaithfulness. You're a woman that can't be satisfied. And I, Yahweh, am your husband. I'm going to divorce you. And he divorces her in Isaiah. And when you read these minor prophets, he's just saying judgment, 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 judgment. And I just, after 12 books of it, I thought, my it's just, it's heavy. Hosea, you've got to marry a woman that becomes an unfaithful wife and a harlot to just show to Israel where they've gotten. Now, please, don't always stone Israel. We as a church, I hate to say it, we have similar temptations. We're the bride of Christ. And he says, don't let yourselves be seduced, 2 Corinthians eleven two. 2. I've espoused you to Christ as a virgin bride. Now, now remain faithful. Don't, don't sleep with anybody else is what he's saying. Don't sleep with anybody. This is our true love. And this world keeps trying to get you into bed with itself, to get you out of the arms of your God. And so what... He says in the affections, the one thing, only you can answer this. Do you love me, Peter, more than these? That's the greatest question in your life between you and Christ. Or will you sleep with everything besides me, your God? Your God who redeemed you. Your God who loved you. The God who saved you. They all can be cool. We can drift from them. But if you've never had this overwhelming sense of the love of God, that he loves me, that now I love him back, and now in the overflow I love people, you may have clogged arteries. And clogged arteries are dangerous. You've got to watch your cholesterol. Watch what you eat. I just bought some more garlic this week just to fight cholesterol. But I'm low. I'm low, see. So I make that excuse to eat more ice cream. But I can't do much of that. But clogged arteries are dangerous. They're precursors to strokes and heart attacks. And so you've got to get the arteries cleaned out. And I was thinking about how many believers have clogged arteries in their spiritual life. They, uh, and I would make that 
they're clogged by an unforgiving spirit. They've got a grudge they've never let go of. Uh, they've made a pledge they will never love again because they've been hurt. And that's an easy one in church. I'll never trust. I'll never love again because uh, I got hurt in this relationship. And so bitterness has replaced the sweet taste of a honeycomb. I want to say this to you about these emotions. That uh, if you don't feel the emotion, uh, I think what's easy to do is to ignore it. First of all, let me say, don't ignore if you've lost these emotions he commands. Love, joy, peace, fruit of the Spirit, uh, a forgiving spirit. Don't just keep going on and say, that's all right, I'm getting the work done. I've lost the joy. I I don't love it anymore, and I'm not going to trust people, but I'll keep going. No, 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 stop. Take appraisal. Say, no, 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 I've lost something. God said the joy of the Lord would be my strength. And God wants me to always have these emotions in it. Joy, love for those I've served. Not just, I did it. No, no, no. You've missed out. So first of all, say, this is not what God intended. Uh, Two, confess the sin of becoming loveless and joyless. Lord, I've lost the love I had for you. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've had to do that. Lord, I I feel like I'm still in the uniform of doing duties, but I've lost the burn. I've lost, I I need to be revived in the inner man. The joy needs to come back. Going through a hurt or misunderstanding or whatever. And and then to get restored in my soul where I'm loving him and I'm feeling his love. Where joy is filling my soul no matter what I do. You must take inventory and say, I confess it, Lord. I've lost it. There must be sin. I must be doing something wrong. And then pray that God would restore not only the the work ethic, but the appropriate emotion God wants you to experience, whatever that is, joy, peace, that these are your birthright. This is a part of the affection of knowing him. And we must come back and say, restore that. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Sin will strip you of that. I must say that uh, uh, sometimes I would say you might have to continue in the duties until the affection comes back. I've had to do that. Uh, In 89 and 90, when our family was going through great trials, I I look back and I, I tell Carolyn, for the life of me, I do not know how I was able to preach in those days my heart was so broken and overwhelmed with grief. It was really a shame that you poor people had to hear a broken man. Because the pulpit is a terrible place for a grief-stricken father. But I preached anyway. And then I would go home and lay in my chair and sleep off depression for another five days. And somehow I would come up with another sermon. But it was terrible terrible on my constitution. I needed a four-year sabbatical because I was broken. And I lost my joy. I lost my prayer life. And I became, 
I was in the daily battle of whether I was going to be bitter against people or forgiving. And it was a daily battle. Will I let it go or will I hold the grudge? I was a wreck. But one day in a prayer meeting, I confessed to God I lost him. In the battle, I was losing my God. I was losing my joy. I had lost it. I had lost the love. I was more, if there was any strength in me, I was ready to fight, but I was too grief-stricken to fight. Just one tap and I would have fallen over. And God in that day in my basement, reading Jeremiah, lacerated the boil that was in my heart and cleaned out the spiritual cholesterol that was blocking the flow of the Spirit. And in mercy and tenderness, he stooped down to restore a broken preacher. And the healing began. I close with this. I don't think I've ever shared this. Give me uh, five minutes and I'll stop. In the 70s, a pastor asked me to come and preach for him. I, I did. The church was so broke they had no money. I, I had a good offering that week. In those days, I didn't get a salary, but if I had a good offering, had a good, bought my own plane tickets, paid my own way, paid my own expenses, and did everything gratis because they were a poor, kind of a wilderness church. I went there, didn't know the man well, knew his father. And as I sat with he and his wife in the parsonage that was across the street, he showed me bullet holes in the parsonage from a guy that uh, got mad at them. They had a lot of girls uh, going on that were in the church, immoral and rebellious and whatever. And so any time the church dealt with them, these logger-type fathers would come in, shoot up the place, maybe try to beat up the past, quite physical, uh, violent. It was just incredible. And this man that I was with, I would say 6'4", six, 6'5", six, big man, telling me the horrendous things that I found unbelievable for a pastor to be dealing with. It was like a frontier church. And so I was just to be there from Friday through Sunday. We we're going to have Saturday meetings in the morning. Okay. Uh, the music, I played an old guitar they got, and his wife was a wonderful pianist. So we'd sing a few courses Friday night, and I, I taught the word on something. I don't know what it was. Did that Friday night. Saturday morning, we had Bible studies, lunch on the grounds. Came back Saturday night. We just walked across the street in his house. What was terrible is he was smoking salmon downstairs, and I was staying upstairs bedroom. Everything I had smelled like salmon. Um, and so Sunday, we, we go to church. Little church. I mean, this church, uh, a packed crowd would be 100 people. Uh, 70 would be big. I mean, small. But he was telling me, besides all this, he, he told me how a man came there and beat him and a Sunday school teacher up in the foyer during Sunday school. Ripped out his coat. But he's beating up this man that was irate about something. He's beating up the deacon. This pastor rushed in to rescue. So three men are rolling in a fight in the foyer of the church. 
to subdue this angry father. People in the church were gossiping. There, there was just so much. And I'm saying to myself, what am I doing here? This is pitiful. This man needs a ticket out of here. This man does not need to be trying to raise three boys in this environment. It was terrible. Well, we preached Sunday morning. We went and had lunch. Come back that night. I sat on a stool, played guitar a little bit, sang, preached. And the conclusion of that service, I said, you know what? Hate, sin, unforgiveness, and the absence of love tells me this church's days are over. Unless you do what Christ said and repent and return to him, he's going to remove this lampstand and God's going to deliver your pastor to a better place because God is sick and tired of the sin going on here. Let us wait to see if God deals with your heart about it. And we sat there in silence. And friend, it was as though it began to rain in that building. And pretty soon, with the pastor setting up on the front row, a man comes up to him and falls in his arm, weeping. Starts asking his forgiveness. Before it was over, the pastor had to get in the middle of the aisle of that little church, and people from there to the back door lined up to ask his forgiveness. I, I went across the street because two friends of mine from Portland Seminary had come been college students of mine, and we went over there to, you know, do something spiritual, like eat a chicken leg, because <laughs> this meeting just kept going and going. I, I got out of the way. Uh, I mean, uh, it, they just were in line, and his wife was there, and uh, it went two, two and a half, three hours, and I was sitting over the house with these boys, and after a while, I mean, these folks were Baptists. They got out by 7.15. But when they came in there about 11 o'clock, I said, what is it? I mean, they're dripping. And what's interesting is I talked with that pastor later. He said, you know what? He said, not only did a church repent, but God forever changed my ministry that night. I said, how's that? He said, I had learned to be right. I had learned to fight. I had learned to cut it straight grew up with a theologically astute father. And he said, for the first time I wept in church. For the first time I discovered emotions. For the first time I discovered God was great and loving and he loved his sheep. And it was more than just being right. But you could have the feast of affections as you're feasting on God. He said, I'll never go back. Guess what? Some guys came in there. They were going to house a school. But that school made him too emotional now. Too lovey-dovey. And that makes you mushy. And so he resigned the church under duress because the faculty had really taken hold to get these people back online. Church shrunk again. He went on and has never had anything but wonderful success. And more than anything else, the feast, he said, I can never forget that night. It was the turning point. I found out God was more than a correct definition. He was an overwhelming God that flooded my soul. 
I never want to go back. And some of you, can you remember when he used to flood you? You remember when you used to sing from your heart? When you used to do everything in the overflow? Who knows? Maybe you've been staying in the kitchen too long. He's asking for you to get into his arms. That's why he died for And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our series is called Finding Pleasure in God, one that we would love to pass along to you for a gift of any amount as you support the ministry of Truth For Today. You can reach us at 800-833-9864. Again, that's 800-833-9864. You're also welcome to visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And then, as we conclude our time together today, we would send out a special invitation to join us for special Christmas services. Saturday evening, the 24th, 7 to 8 p.m., bring the whole family, celebrate the birth of Jesus with us, and then only one service Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Service for the whole family. There won't be nursery or classes available, but we'll have a marvelous time worshiping and celebrating the birth, the first advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Details and directions can be found on our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by calling 855-833-9864. Directions and, again, more information on our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by simply calling us. If you're writing to us for further information about the ministry, maybe you have a prayer request, a comment about the program, maybe you'd like to partner with us financially, knowing that this broadcast is presented daily on this station through your financial partnership. Feel free to write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.